You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. How's your day been? The day's been great. Yeah? It's like, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful for the flow of today. Yeah. Yeah, how, how did you get started with the podcast that you guys started with? You just with started there? Yeah, Align Podcast, yeah. Oh, I started... Is that how you started your journey or you started the journey? Before? No, the, I mean, the journey as far as like helping with clients and helping with like the physical experience of people. And then uh, that turned into training other clients and balancing them as well at the same time. And then got into manual therapy and various different forms like rolfing and different forms of like hands-on therapy. Mm-hmm. Professionally, has done that for like almost 10 years or so. And then you kind of, you've probably had this experience in various different ways. You kind of like notice yourself repeating the same thing, kind of going through the repetitions and doing the same thing over and over again. It's like, how do I, you know, in reaching like the roof of what I can do within that structure. Mm-hmm. You know, like, cool, like, you know, I have all the clients. I'm booked out with clients. I have like other people that work here as well. And this is kind of like the max of what can be done with this approach. Mm-hmm. And then a, a friend that I'm now working with again, seven years later, he introduced me to like social media and like rebuilt my website and kind of and like convinced me to start a podcast. So at that mm-hmm. point, it was like it was like almost seven and a half years ago. Now uh, you've been podcasting for seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, man. It's amazing. It's, it's a long a time. Minute, yeah. 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 So that was like kind of strange because it was just like you know some trainer, manual therapist guy in Bend, Oregon. And had never used social media. I think I had a Facebook or something that was, you know, whatever. There's no function. Mm-hmm. And so that was very weird, you know, at that time to just like create that. And like there's nobody listening. Um, and that's how you felt. Probably. That was true. Yeah, probably. Well, it was how I felt and it was true. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that, you know. But at that time, it was it was easier to do a podcast and ask like interesting to semi-interesting people to do the podcast because it was like still like a novel thing. And so thankfully there was, there were people that were like willing to talk to me that were like definitely they had no business talking to me. You know, there would be no reason for them to spend their time talking to me on my new podcast thing. Yeah. (laughs) But it worked out for people too. And I had like Wim Hof on like very early on and like Mm. various different people that are you know, it's just people that I like looked up to at the time. They're like, oh yeah, of course I'll do your podcast. Yeah. And it's just been like a, a you know, a slow growth since then. So I want to explore two different stages because I think they're interesting. As you said, you were a trainer. You found yourself in the ceiling. What got you interested in the body? Mm. Why were you a trainer? Well, I think it, for me, it was a lot of insecurity, a lot of like feeling very uncomfortable in my body. And in my book, I describe it as like a, like a demented baby giraffe or something like that or disorganized baby giraffe like just I was very tall very lanky very skinny and just like didn't know where all my limbs fit you know I was just Mm -hmm. kind of like aimlessly had parts terribly crooked teeth sweet bowl cut Mm -hmm. you know parted down the middle Mm -hmm. Dawson's Creek big fan of Dawson's (laughs) Creek at that time mom cut the hair Mm -hmm. you know so I had like all the the squigglies yeah and so that was the vibe 
And the story that I have, which I think is probably pretty accurate, is that I started to feel insecure with my home environment, which I've like told this story tons of times, so I won't go too much too much into it. But my dad got into like drugs and various different things. He ended up going to jail. It was like a whole thing. Now he's doing amazing. He's like this like Christian Buddha creature of some sort. He's just very like namaste and sweet and he's just amazing. But at the time, that was kind of an, an interesting intersection in, in becoming aware that the way that I think and feel and my environmental conditions affect the way that my body expresses. And so at that time, my home, I think I felt very unstable around this like mid-teenage dumb, like 13, 14, 15 years old time frame. And so I believe that I had an impetus to double down on like my biological home and like reinforce mm-hmm. the biological home. And so I just got obsessed with bodybuilding and just in a very like unstable fashion. And I was just mm-hmm. pounding every protein shake or creatine or like all the different varieties of eans that mm-hmm. I could possibly be eating. Every two hours, I'd go to the high school or middle school bathroom and like pour some type of powder concoction into my like little like myo muscle shaker thing, <laughs> pour powder all over the sink. Like you always yeah, knew yeah. if Aaron Alexander was like in the bathroom because <laughs> it was just like a complete mess. A lot of farts. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, that was my first journey into protein powders. I, I realized, wow, this is... So I, I had an interesting change in my life about a year ago. Before that, I never really cared how I looked. I wasn't into my body at all. Yeah. But after my daughter was born, I was just like, this is not a very optimized way of living. I'm not being, not even being a good example, but I was more like, how am I going to hang out with my kids and grandkids if they choose mm-hmm. to have some, how? Like when I'm 75, 85, if right now I feel like the way I was feeling, say about a year ago. And that started my journey into kind of going, okay, I need to think about my body. I need to think about how my physical being is. And that got me started. The reason why I'm telling the story is because that got me into fitness. And because of that, the first few rounds, everybody looks at your protein that you take and they go, ah, the thing that you have is the biggest problem is, dude, you're a vegetarian. Yeah, right. (laughs) And you eat no protein. Like your protein intake is 40 grams a day. You should be taking 200 grams a day or whatever the number was. I'm like, holy shit, I have to update my way to take protein and the only way I can really got enough protein at the time and even now is to have protein shakes, have protein bars, have protein, some source of protein and be very mindful of what I'm eating, like lunch and dinner. And I realized protein parts are the thing. Oh yeah, like, it's a real thing. It's, it is insane. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy cow, how does anybody live with so first, like, anyone the, with the, that? So the first stage is, is saying like, okay, like, Protein matters, fat matters, just having some general baseline understanding of the food that I put into my face essentially is the raw materials of my structural, muscular, cellular development. It's yeah. like the base, it's like the crude materials for the structure to exist. Yeah. And so taking interest in that, you know, and then I think from there, it's like, okay, well, these kind of gross powders and bars and all the things, like as far as like the vibratory life force. You know, that exists in those prepackaged things that have been on some shelf for X amount of months or years and were shipped across the country and handled by all sorts of God knows who or what. And, you know, and then suddenly here it is, your nutrition. It's like, this is your vital. This is your vitality. (laughs) You know, so I think a really interesting, potentially beautiful step in one's health journey would be starting to garner a relationship to their food. You know, and I think beyond that, it's like it's not just the food itself, it's what is the food's impact on my community? What is the food's impact on the country, on the state, on the environment? Mm-hmm. You know, and so 
I think it's just an interesting approach to live life in that way of like going beyond just like very individualistic, very kind of reactionary, cool, this works now, but screw whatever else is happening behind mm-hmm. the, the, the story of this and having, mm-hmm. you know, that's like, I think coming into like understanding regenerative farming is a really powerful modality of, of existence. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of like, cool, like we got to eat, we got that, okay? It also would behoove us to take care of the, the land that we eat upon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so is there some way to kind of integrate those? Okay, what if our farming practices actually restored and regenerated the soil? Mm-hmm. And then the byproduct of that was we're getting this, you know, more like whole vital version of food as well. Like, oh, okay, cool. That's a win. Yeah. You know, and so those, there's, there's different connecting points like that from a nutritional perspective. And then there's also, you could and overlay energetically that. too, not just nutritionally, energetically. If you believe in the energy of the universe, it's kind of the way you go around. Mm-hmm. It makes everything better. And energetically, yeah. you feel better. Like yeah, said. and you, I mean, energetically can, I think, mean so many th- different things to different people. You could look yeah. at it from like a physics perspective, like mechanical perspective and say, cool, we're a bunch of vibration. And as the atoms and cells and such start to move less or move slower, it's an indication that that living, breathing, vibrant, dancing, you know, organism is starting to transition into the ground and become a you know a oak tree or whatever. Yeah. But it's like, oh, there's like to vibrate, that's just physics, that's just life. And then you could say that vibration into like, okay, like what's my vibe? Mm-hmm. You know, and so do you feel optimistic? Do you feel light? Do you feel heavy? Do you feel weighed down? Do you feel afraid? Do you feel anxious? Do you feel so then it's like, okay, well, what's the relationship? You become the the product, the Jim Rohn quote, you become the product of the five people you spend the most time with. So it's like clearly being around certain types of people affects the way that we think and the way that we feel. They're not like spitting in our mouths unless you're like got those kinds of relationships. They're just <laughs> standing there. Yeah. And it's like it changes you. They're just oh, standing in the room with you. Yeah. <laughs> you can feel it from you across the room. It. Yeah, you can feel it. Somebody walks in the room, you're like, holy like, cow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And you, you literally are actually, they kind of are spitting in your mouth. Like we're emitting so much bacteria just walking into a room. You mm-hmm. know, if you were actually to look at a human, we're just pouring out, you know, as we're, mm-hmm. we're sweating and we're breathing. Like all three of us are all, literally, we're filling the entirety of the room right now. Mm-hmm. And visually, we see us as sitting on a chair, but we're, you know, we're inoculating each other to each other's bacteria right now as we're sitting here. Like, our immune systems are getting to know each other just yeah. because we're in the same room. And then you're like, okay, I mean, this is, can keep on going, but we're in this air-conditioned room. So you're like, okay, well, this is actually getting circulated from this whole building. So now what's in this building? Yeah. You know, and so that's going too far into the weeds, but it's a similar conversation with the food. And you can also dork out on that too much to the point that now you're just spinning in details and you're not really doing anything with your life. Yeah. So, so at some point, you're like, okay, just eat a burger. You're going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? you got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> and you're thinking a little too much. Yeah. Have you seen that often happen with your clients or people who have studied your work? where they go too far into the end and how does one know that they are too far in the end in the end of like over speculation speculation especially in context of food and health because i feel like there is no at least my experience of health 
if I was to say as an industry, is that you could go far out of the spectrum. You could have the oh, most yeah. supplemental life and you could be have downing 150 supplements and yeah. uh, cleaning your hands every five seconds. I've met those people and I met people who were like, eat a burger, you're fine. Oh, yeah. Go to McDonald's once in a while. It's not, not going to kill you. Yeah. Uh, where do you feel is the community at right now from your experience, from your point of view, the community well, at large? Yeah, there's like a, a quote from, I think, Voltaire. He said, modern medicine is the art of entertaining the patient while nature cures the disease. And so I think there's a lot of that happening in the realm of like biohacking and nutrition supplements and like consumerism of health as an industry. And so that's... Because I think, in America, it's popping. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's popping. And we're like pretty degenerate as a culture. <laughs> you know, So we have access to all of the things... And all the doctors, all the supplements, all the red light therapies and, you know, mm -hmm. NAD drips and like everything you could possibly want to put into your body uh, from an exogenous perspective, like, you know, outside in. Yet, I don't need to read off the statistics, but, you know, diabetes and obesity and anxiety and depression and self-harm and just a general kind of like, ugh, like energetic in quotations feels like there's like a pool oftentimes mm. on you know, people in the modern, maybe like cubicle, computer, cell phone, artificial, like standard American diet, Wi-Fi, radiation, sedentary lifestyle. <laughs> it's like a lot of factors yeah. kind of just like, it's like pulling from yeah. the life force of this like beautiful, expressive being. And so I think the baseline, kind of like fundamental bedrock of making a healthy organism whether it's a human or an animal or a, you know, whatever, a mitochondrial cell or a bug or whatever, would be, are you getting enough sunlight? How's your sleep? How's your sleep? You know, do you have consistency with the way that you sleep? Are your hormones always in a state of kind of like chaos and not really knowing how your endocrine system should be expressing based off of consistency of sleep schedules? Because your body gets into this rhythm of, okay, cool, when you wake up at that consistent hour, your body starts to upregulate all of the, you know, the cortisols and the different hormones that cause you to like wake up. And then on the other side of the coin, it's like, okay, now it's around that time. It's time to start to give you all the, the, the essentially the oppositional hormones to mm -hmm. cause us to start to get sleepy. So mm -hmm. if that's always chaotic, that's going to be challenging for our body to kind of like know where we're at. Relationships. You know, the longest longitudinal study was done from Harvard. It started in like, I think the early 40s, maybe. I'm kind of making that. It was like late 30s, early 40s, somewhere around then. What they found, and people have regurgitated this study tons of times on podcasts. So you probably already heard it at least five to seven times. But what they found in that study from Harvard is that the biggest lever for the health, well-being, and longevity for human beings based off of the, the people that they were studying in that for 80 odd years was the quality of the relationships. So if we're not looking at that part and we're just kind of like compensating and stuffing in more like dehydrated kale chips, mm -hmm. well, we haven't even established the foundation. Okay. You know, so I think the foundational parts is like, you know, do things like the blue zones. Dan Buettner kind of coined the concept of the blue zones, the centurion mm -hmm. locations around the planet. Uh, there's one in California, Costa Rica, uh, Italy, Japan. They're, they're kind of dispersed throughout. 
what people are doing in those places is they're just living very like natural in quotations lives. They're walking with regularity. Sometimes there's hills around there. They're going up and down. They're gardening. They're having group like community, communal type they dinners and experiences. Yeah. They drink wine. They maybe they smoke a cigarette every now and again and they just kind of mm-hmm. chill and ah, I'm just decompressing. I'm out on my porch. I'm having a little whiskey. You know, yeah. I'm just, ah, I'm just taking it in. I'm relaxing my eyes. Yeah. Maybe I had like a little sigh like, Oh man, I'm just letting it out. Yeah. You know, like, like, uh, like yeah. oh, okay, that's cool. Like, that yeah. works. Yeah. Just living life, just yeah. actually living <laughs> instead of chasing <laughs> an outcome that yeah. always just feels like another chase, another chase, another chase. Then yeah. saying, hey, listen, I'm just going to live it. Yeah. I'm going to enjoy every minute of it. Why do you think in today's time it's so hard for people to have relationships? Mm. What's your experience, Ben? Hmm. What do you mean relationship? Define relationship. You, you suggested that one like, of the reasons why people get to live a long life is because they have meaningful relationships. Relationships yeah. they enjoy. Let's even take out meaningful out of it. Yeah. They enjoy full relationships. They mm-hmm. have community. Uh, it tends to be, which you also, I think, addressed or at least kind of suggested, yeah. is that that's the one thing that people don't focus on. Or that's the thing. I think that there's a lot of things like, we don't focus. I think nature yeah. is a big thing that we're mm-hmm. culturally kind of divorcing, slowly divorcing ourselves. By nature, from. you mean being out of nature. Just go the freak outside. Oh, okay. It doesn't need to be any complex. Just be around some trees. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's some water, maybe jump in, maybe listen to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like take your headphones out for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, just just like put a plug on the information overload just for a second. You mm-hmm. don't always, and by you, I mean I'm talking to myself. I don't always need to be regurgitating some research study thing mm-hmm. about a thing and just yeah. cramming information into here. <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes it's like there's a lot of deep wisdom in just listening. Like allow spaciousness for what comes through with that. And so how that perhaps would transition into relationships is if we are, I'm kind of making this up right now, but if I'm, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm going to make an attempt to connect those two. We'll see where it ends up. But if we're in that perpetual state of, doing and acquiring and, you know, maybe like property perspective and making a little bit of a jump, but like conquering, that's not a very like intimate, connected, honest, authentic way to, you know, it's more, it's like there's two modes in a way, I think. Mm -hmm. So we have that like linear, structured, acquire, do, get it done mode. And then there's like, that could maybe be like masculine if you wanted to have that type of um, language around it. And then there's this feminine mm-hmm. part that, you know, whatever genitals you have, you have hopefully some level of a balance between masculinity and femininity. And that feminine part is just that being totally open and comfortable with listening. I don't need to build anything. I don't need to prove anything to you. Like, I just want to mm-hmm. be with you. Mm-hmm. And nurturing and like self-care and, you know, art, poetry, throwing color at the wall, doing things just for the sake of doing them, you know, starting to playing an infinite game as opposed to a finite game, you know, and being just like, yeah, like, what are we doing? It's like, we're just, we're just here, mm-hmm. you know, we're just having a good time. Like, what, what, what are we doing? It's like, it doesn't matter. You know, yeah. so, so that's... Yeah, living. Yeah. Yeah, living. We're truly just being present to what life is and saying, let's enjoy it for what it is. It doesn't have to be something. It doesn't need to be a purpose. Yeah. You, know? need to, you need to have purpose in life, but not everything needs to have purpose. Yeah, but... Everything the, but the, can be. But the, the modern human mind, at least in some part, has been steeped in a world that's driven towards production. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there's like the industrial age... 
and the technological age. And it's like, there's this race. We're doing, we got a space race. We've got a, you know, we're now racing against China. Now China, their economy is overtaking <laughs> the United States. It's like, okay, what does that mean? You know, we have all this like, and the question that I have quite regularly that I still haven't been able to solve exactly is like, where are we racing exactly? <laughs> you know what I mean? I know what you mean. Yeah. There's like a cultural sensation of like, okay, just gotta keep right, just keep going. Yeah, work harder. Yeah, keep working. Yeah, they're like, okay, I'm like, okay, yes, like I'm on board. Where are we going? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> has anybody asked where we're going? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, where do you think we're going? I don't think we are going anywhere. <laughs> I think that's that's the find that we will eventually have, and I think that's why. A lot of the narrative that gets traction everywhere right now is when somebody says something, what you said, which is slow down, listen to the sound of air, water, slow it down. You don't have to get anywhere because there is nowhere. Mm. The where is here, here is now. Now is what you can enjoy and will always enjoy. And I don't know why masculine and feminine are structured that way. I still don't fully understand that. Maybe there's some biological understanding of it. I don't understand the energetic understanding of it. But the masculine structures tend to be step by step. Let's take this step, this step. So it's always about the next step and mm-hmm. the next goal and the next goal and the next goal. Whereas it tends to be. And that's why I think the future is the female is because they're not trying to do the next thing. They're trying to do a thing which is not tangentially ahead or behind. It's just different. Yeah, It's creatively explored. It has no particular path, which is why it is all about the play. Mm-hmm. Because there is no path. There is no, oh, now we are done. There is no done. It's like a painting. You are painting, but not like, oh, Mona Lisa is done. No, it's like, I'm painting it. I'm going to keep painting it all my life. So this painting, this art form is going to keep evolving. And that's really what I feel like a feminine energy feels like. It's like they're not trying to win anything, which is perfect for how life should probably be pursued as versus However, biologically or otherwise, we are wired this way, but men tend to do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I got to win this. And then once I do this, then I'll be happy. And that this, of course, never really happens because then you just put another thing to it. At least my experience is that females or feminine energy doesn't tend to do that. And a man can lean into a feminine energy. I have become that. Previously, I was somebody who was always on the chase. Like that was my life. And yeah. there's no doubt. And I stressed myself and burned myself off doing that. And the more I said, you know what? I don't really need to get anywhere. I have no competition. I'm not, I don't, if you tell me who's your competition, I can't name one. I don't look at them. I don't care about it because I'm not doing it for that. I'm doing it because this, like literally when you came in and I was like, yeah, are we recording? But I like, because I I just want to have a talk with you. Yeah. I don't care if uh, it becomes the best podcast in the world, but I want to make sure that by the end of it, you had a great time. I had a great time. And hopefully everybody that listens to it can feel into and they have a great time. And if yeah. it becomes something, great. If it doesn't become something, we still had a great time with our lives. Yeah. And I think that's what's become important to me as of now is where I am at. It may be because I have kids now, but I don't know. Right. But that's where I am. And I feel like there is the chase of going somewhere is a popular narrative because much more part of the world suffers in a way or is suffering in some way because if not having enough abundance or trying to chase this abundance where they feel safe. And because there's no safety, they feel like the chase is going to get them to safety. Mm. And that's why that narrative is extremely popular. Hustle, work hard, keep working hard, work yourself to death. All of those things are popular and get traction because, well, 
We're trying to get to a comfortable, safe place and no place is safe. So we're always chasing safety as well. Yeah. And I think that creates that narrative, or at least I think that's what has got that narrative of more traction. Yeah. What do you think? But it's, it's a nice story to have the concept that when I reach whatever the metaphoric carrot is, I will finally feel fulfilled because it at least kills a lot of time in this like life yeah. thing. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. like arriving at the point, it's like the, this is, there's a term for this and I don't remember what the term is, but the depression that often ensues upon reaching one's massive big goal. Mm-hmm. You went to space finally, you won the gold medal in the Olympics, you're, you know, you're the champion of the world at fill in the blank thing. And suddenly there's this full, you know, the floor falls out from underneath you because yeah. now suddenly the carrot disappeared. Yeah. And you have nothing to orient your life around, and yeah. you feel fucking terrible. <laughs> and you're just true. you're lost and confused. It's and actually known. Like, the people who win the gold medal <laughs> tend to be unhappier than the people who win the silver. Yeah, so silver having, so having are that still drive. the chase. They love it. They're still yeah. in it. The gold medalist is just like depressed, or suddenly goes, "I don't know what I'm doing." Yeah, and I doubt that that's an absolute rule like most things, but it is a thing that is at least common enough that there is some term that we could Google search very quickly for what the what whoever made that term up uh, mm-hmm. is called exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's life is about the stories that we tell ourselves, which is interesting and empowering in a way because like Jordan Peterson, he has a program, I think it's called like something along the lines of like rewriting yourself or something. It's not that, but it's something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And it's like turning your life literally into a, a story Mm-hmm. And you can create edits and you can add in characters, you mm-hmm. can take away characters, you can whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know, and it could be this epic saga, it could be a tragedy, this, yeah. it could be a comedy. And it's mm-hmm. just such an interesting thing for a person. I think this is where something we talked before about uh, psychedelics. I think that that's an interesting lever of sorts to pull upon to kind of like pull the mask back temporarily. Mm-hmm. And say like, okay, like who you thought you were isn't all of you. Mm -hmm. It might be terrifying to realize that. Like it might be, you might like do everything you can to hold and contract and grip and like squeeze the idea of I'm, you know, 37-year-old Selma who loves Labrador retrievers and has a 401k plan and a Roth IRA and has all of her, you know, like, ah, this is a night, like this type of clothes and these colors and, ah, this is it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yes. And Man. this is this brilliant, amazing story that, she, that some capital Y-U mm-hmm. has composed. Mm-hmm. Like, how beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah. It's a great technique. It's, it's, it's a technique that is known in coaching. We call it psychologically distancing yourself. Uh. What you're really doing in that program or at least understanding the program that you just shared is you're simply saying, I'm going to step away from myself and mm-hmm. look at myself as a third person and write it like a story. Yeah. Or you could do it to any event that you have charge against. You could literally step away and say, what if I was not in the event? And suddenly you have no emotional charge to it because yeah. you're watching it like a movie. Yeah. You're watching it like a story. So it becomes much easier to dissociate and then go, what does the other person feel? What do you feel? Suddenly you have empathy for the other You become other an partner. operator. Operator yeah, in the story just as opposed to just, right, just, just a character. Yeah, I'm just a character in, in a broad story so I can change the story of the character because it's my 
my storyline anyways, my movie. Yeah. I can make whatever I want to make out of it. What I'm curious to learn from you more of is you said there was a part of your story where you felt not comfortable with yourself, uh, mm. where you were not sure of yourself when you were a young kid taking protein shakes. Where was it the point that that shift happened where you started to get, or are you still comfortable with yourself? No, no, I don't think, I don't think, I don't know that really hardly anybody is. I think things are, things are like happen in fleeting moments, but I can like lessen to pretty deleterious self-talk with regularity, you know, a lot like you're wasting your time, you're wasting your life, you know, you should be doing things this way, you are living up to, you know, a fraction of your potential, like all this like stress of like should. So that's a very regular occurrence for me. Most days, there'll be a little, a, a, like notice a little like injection of like, you should be doing better. And I'm like, fuck, you're probably right, actually. <laughs> but, but fuck. <laughs> um, Does I, that keep you in the chase? Oh, yeah. Do you feel like you're in the chase all the time because of that? No, not all the time. There's a lot of times where I really am like really smelling the roses. Roses <laughs> are like literally or figuratively. So I think I, I mean, life's probably a lot about relativity to even like understand where you are in space. And so relatively speaking, I probably have a greater amount of bandwidth towards the smelling of the roses than would be the average norm in culture, I would think. There was some way to like measure that. Um, <laughs> there's not. <laughs> yeah, there's no way to measure that. But I, I would think, you know, I think absolutely. But I'd say probably all collectively, essentially living the same experience through like different, perceivably different eyes. So the idea of me even, you know, smelling the roses more or less than anyone else, I think I'm just, I actually am a part of the whole thing. But again, that's like, we need to eat more mushrooms and, you know, probably mm -hmm. have another few hours to like unpack what that even means. Or maybe like hire Ram Dass for an episode or something, <laughs> or Alan Watts. But yeah, I think that that's in reference to Ram Dass, something that he's said that I align with is that his various different neuroses of whatever it would be, some type of fear or guilt or greed or something that's kind of just being neurotic behavior that he's had since he's a little kid. It doesn't go away. You just start to have greater relation or maybe like separation, but it doesn't consume the, the individual. Mm. You know, so I think that we're all this composite of all of the feelings and all of the greed and all of the guilt and all of the pain and all of the love and all of the prosperity and all of the like the murder and the rape and the like it's all if it exists in the zeitgeist, it's within us. And I think that the greatest resistance that we have against, which is an interesting word, different sensations or experiences of others, I think is like a fear of that within ourselves, which is our two tracks. The one track is I think that we become more comfortable with the neurotic behavior. And as opposed to it consuming us, we become, it likes the way that Ram Dass explains it, he's like now all of them are like his kids and they like sit around the table and they like have tea together and like, you know, there's the insecurity, there's the, the greed, there's the fear, there's this like, ah, oh, like, hey, like come mm. in. You know, it doesn't, you don't cut it out. It's like, it's not, there's nothing to cut. It's just, does it consume you or can you just be like the witness of it? Mm -hmm. And that's yeah, more, we just become more proficient at being the witness. And then the other track is, the sensation, which is a totally, perhaps completely different conversation, but I accidentally stumbled into it. So elaborating on that, this is, I have actually a question for you. When a person has resistance to a sensation, a feeling, a person, an action, anything of the sort, 
I have somewhat, and this isn't like my theory or anything, but it makes intuitive sense to me that oftentimes what that is, if it's like a trigger in quotations, it's actually like a fear or resistance around that behavior and the possibility of that existing within ourselves. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And sometimes it is. Sometimes it, it, it depends what tends to, at least in my experience, what tends to happen is, is if something is triggering a person, it is sometimes something that we don't like about ourselves. And so when somebody else does it, it kind of is a mirror. And it's like seeing the ugly face or seeing that insecurity that was sitting at the table, just mirror being pointed just at that. So you go, oh, that doesn't look good. Yeah, That's me, but it doesn't look good. Yeah. Right? So we don't like those versions of ourselves. And so, yes, that's one thing that happens. And what also tends to happen is we all have consciously, unconsciously a built-in value system, which helps our mind, our psychological mind, put things in boxes. So I look at Aaron, I have already put him in a box. Not that I'm trying to put him in a box, yeah. but to make sense of the world, you have to. Otherwise, like you get chunk, confused. Chunking, chunking of information chunking is like a memory term for it. Yeah, so it's yeah. chunking of information, chunking of people, saying this is where I put all the coaches, this is where I'm putting all the yeah. teachers, this is where I'm putting all the health Stere- practitioners. Stereotypes. Yeah, stereotypes, stereotypes. And so what happens is when somebody comes from a box or looks like they're from a box, they immediately get triggered. Yeah. Right. This can happen to cultures, like certain cultures trigger certain people, certain um, skin tones trigger different people, your uh, sexual orientation may trigger people. And you will see this in day-to-day life. There's no reason for you to be triggered. But because a past experience has informed you, there's nothing to do with your reflection in there. It's just a past experience informs you. You build a value system without you recognizing you've built a value system. And now you're immediately triggered. The invitation must always be to, to look at that everybody like you is having a human experience, which means all of us have done bad things at times. But that does make us bad people, including ourselves. Mm-hmm. So when we are insecure, we are insecure in that moment. It doesn't make us insecure person. What it simply makes you is in that moment, I'll be insecure. And that is something I'm working on. I think the association that we tend to make, again, for simplification of the world around us is generalization. It's you would go, that's a beautiful person. That's an insecure person. That's a happy person. That's a sad person. All of that is false. They're beautiful in a moment. They're happy in a moment. They're insecure in a moment. They're sad in a moment. They're angry in a moment. It's like a Rubik's Cube. Yeah, it's it's always, and it changes by their current life circumstances, future life circumstances, past history, present behavior, presence that they have with themselves in that moment. It is not an absolute, but we want it to be absolute because it makes sense and it's easy to decipher. And our psychology, even our energy, wants it to be easy. We all want to be in homeostasis, right? Eventually, we want to normalize. We want to not be anxious. We don't want to be angry. We don't want to be frustrated, which is why going out in nature, like you said, brings immediately right into balance. You're angry, take a walk. Yeah. You'll find, oh, shit, I'm not angry. Ten minutes into it. You're sad, take a walk. Yeah. You're too happy, take a walk. And you'll find you'll again go back to norm and you'll go back to calm because that's what nature does. Nature is the greatest regulator, like you expressed. And I think the challenge that we have in society, at least from my point of view, is because we are gross generalizers and we want to generalize to make simplification of worlds, we also generalize information. Yeah. So not just... People, but information. It's like everything is bad. Everybody's dying. Everybody's unhealthy. Yeah. Instead of going, oh no, they have an unhealthy circumstance. 
they have a particular thing and they can grow out of it. We know you grew out of your health challenge that you had before. You were skinny and everything. You're like, now you're not a skinny guy. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. Right? You grew out of it. Everybody grows out of it. If given the chance, if given the opportunity, if brought to the presence, the challenges can be bring us as society more and more to the present. So I think as a society, we are moving more and more towards it, at least in my experience. I feel like we are only getting better. Even with all the challenges that we have, there might be nuances which come through because you have abundance. We are unhealthier because we have we're more abundant in society than we've ever been. We're more food than we ever had. And so, of course, we're unhealthy because we're eating more than we ever did, yeah. right? And working less because of that, working out less because of that, because we have more convenience. There's AC in this room. <laughs> you don't have to go out in the heat. So, of course, you're not sweating. If you're not sweating, guess what? <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I don't know. So, there's two things that I think. I mean, yeah. there's a bunch of that. My mind was like drifting into like several different topics. And then it's, it's okay. like, oh, that, topic, that, topic's, that topic's going. But the, the last topic is... There'd be two. There's one that I was I had a bookmark at from the very beginning. And then the last topic that you just suggested that I think I might slightly play devil's advocate with is one, the concept of better. That's a, a very subjective term. And it's an interesting term to like unpack, like define what does better mean. So that would be an interesting just question in general. And then quality of life. That's what I meant when I said better. Yeah. And then so it's like, okay, are we looking at the individual like elite class quality of life? Or are we looking at like the entire world? So then it comes into, I, I think there's, it's, it's kind of like we don't, can't create or so says certain, you know, whatever that law is, you can't create or destroy matter. You can just kind of like reconfigure it and kind of shift it around. Mm -hmm. And so I think with the reconfiguration of the stress and the trauma and the, and, you know, like the, the kind of like the burden of existence in a way, we've redistributed the burden of existence. At one point it's like, oh, it's cold. You know, like we got to, I got to figure this out. I'm I'm going to die. It's too cold. <laughs> you know, it's now it's like, I mean, there's a lot of people that die from being cold actually quite regularly, you know, and, and so if you look at it from like a, like homelessness type scenario, which I don't know enough mm -hmm. about to have a meaningful opinion on, but I'd love to understand more. That's like one of my biggest questions. It's like, is homelessness built into our present system or is there some way to like, to get to a point in at least the United States culture where homelessness just isn't a thing and there really it truly is a space for everyone. But I think there's been a redistribution of the stress and like quote unquote burden of human existence. And now it's not so on the face. Okay, weather is coming. It's seemingly like a burden in quotations because I'm going to be really cold or really hot. So I'll redistribute that burden and, you know, I'll reorient and develop air conditioning systems and heaters and etc. But now that stress in that way is like, okay, cool. It didn't just disappear. It's not necessarily just a net positive period. Now suddenly you're like, well, now we have this pollution of air conditioning and refrigerating all this food and just all this just unnecessary wasted fuel just pouring out in the atmosphere. Now we have, oh, well, actually it was really supportive and healthy and adaptive for the human organism to get really hot sometimes and really cold sometimes. And you develop heat shock proteins and cold shock proteins, and it's supportive for the tuning of your neurochemistry to go through this expansion and contraction. So the idea of things are like getting better because we're becoming more comfortable. I think for many people, if you were to look at it statistically based on, you know, all of like just how fat and depressed and diabetic and just all of those statistics seem to just keep climbing as we get more kind of adaptive to nature and more like comfortable within nature. 
So I think that that burden in quotations of, of life and the stress of life, I think it just kind of gets squeezed around. So it seems on the face like, oh, we're more comfortable. But then at the same time, you know, statistically, it seems like there's still death, there's still trauma, it just looks different. Whereas at one point you'd get like, you know, bored by a woolly mammoth or something. Like, we don't do that anymore. But people probably didn't kill themselves at that point in, in time. <laughs> You know, whereas, and I don't know if they did or didn't, you know, but I presume there's probably more instance of self-harm and suicide now than there was a thousand years ago, is my, is my guess. Well, because you died much sooner, a thousand years ago. Well, there is, there is, you did, you did. The average yes. age, for whenever we have tracked, we've only gone longer. We live way longer than what we ever have. There's no disputing of that data because of medical progression. Because, And I'm not saying that's why you should have diabetes. Th there, is, there is disputed yeah. data because if you're looking at just the data specifically, and I'm gathering because this is way outside of my scope of awareness. If we're talking yeah. about like hip mobility or, you know, back health or, you know, anything like that, that's yeah. like where I'm in my pocket. But this, these are conversations I love to have with people that are actually are experts on my own podcast. I'm just generally interested. And what I've gathered from various different people, Chris Ryan being an example of this here at Sex at Dawn and just wrote a book called Civilized to Death, who's just done a great job with researching all this stuff. And other people would suggest this as well. The data is including the deaths at birth, which obviously is like probably astronomically lower now. Mm -hmm. And so if you throw a bunch of zeros into that data, then it mm -hmm. would seem like people are living only to like age, whatever, 40 or like not very long. And so outside of my level of awareness of what's going yeah. on, but if you were to just Google average median age of death or whatever, mm -hmm. then that would be conflated with death at birth, which modern medicine does do a good job with like keeping people alive. Yeah. But then there's a, obviously a conversation of like quality and robusticity and health and all that stuff. So maybe we shouldn't debate on data and more on philosophy. So both of us are out of realm of data, yeah. right? So we don't have <laughs> to reasonable. debate the data because I have a different set of data. You have a different set of data. They're all not our data. They are being informed have, by I other sources, right? I have no sources, idea what right? happened so, in the past. But so philosophically, if we really think about society, right? And by better, I simply mean the quality of life that a person gets to have, which means the comforts that they get to enjoy, the ease of food and just the basic desires so or basic needs. Let's say even if you just talk about basic needs of human beings now, America is even a further evolved society. I was born in India, so I can give you a reflection of how quality of life changes yeah. a person's entire paradigm, right? Sure. So when I grew up in India, you think homelessness is a big problem here if you ever had a chance to visit India then. And even now, you would see what homelessness really looks like right. because I've been around that all my life. And I'm not trying to say that I know more because of that. I'm simply saying that that stage where India was at, at that time and where it is right now, dramatically different. Yeah, Not as much more people, not as many homeless people, right? More houses being built, more comfortable houses being built. Does that mean it stresses the nature? Absolutely. Does it mean there's a transfer of energy? Absolutely. Of course, we are taking up more space because we are more human beings than we have ever been yeah. on the planet. So of course we take more space. The invitation, I think, and, and this is also about perspective and what really drives, at least from my point of view, philosophically, what drives a human being towards creating versus feeling challenged at all times. There's no point in our past life, current life, or in future life that we can look at a perspective and say everything is perfect. There's never. There will never be the case. There's not the case. And it will never be the case. Yeah. Because there's always perspective. And the perspective will change the way we operate in the world. 
if our perspective is, and I feel that may be one of the reasons why we see a sick society instead of a society that will evolve and is going through a season like all societies do, and we are going through one as well, and we are all part of it and creating change in being part of it. But if you want to play that role, we kind of operate as, this is a sick society, let me tell you how sick you are. Because that is not exciting to hear. That's yeah. not change-oriented. That is saying, I am better than you. Yeah, That's my point of view, my philosophy around it. Yeah. Like, I'm better than you because you're sicker and I am not, right? So let me tell you why you're sick. Instead of that, we can say, hey, we are partners in this. You're sick, I get it. I'm lucky I'm not because I got some education. Let me help you with this. Yeah. Right? It's a very different conversation. My philosophy of life, my philosophy of society is we are an evolving society. Even if we don't look at data, we know that we are likely to live longer than our parents were likely to live, at least from that point of view, just because of medical systems. I'm not even saying that. Yeah, sure. Right? Just because of medical systems, just because we optimize resources a little bit better we know there is a bigger chance that the next generation are more emotionally aware simply because their parents are. Yeah. Like, I know my parents never talked to me about emotional awareness. What are you talking about? My kid labels his emotions. He's three years old, right? He's going to be more emotionally aware, but will he have his own set of challenges because of that awareness? Absolutely. Yeah. Right? But I don't see us as society developing by looking at things that are not working out. Because things will not work out because things are being discovered. How much do we know ourselves ourselves about human beings? We disagree on philosophy of how life is, right? And if we are disagreeing to that, means we are still discovering who we are as human beings. We are a really young society. Even if we are a really old society, we are really young. As Earth, as a planet is really young. Us humans are very young. We're discovering things. And when you're discovering things, you can't look at failures and say, it's not going to work out or it's not working out. You got to be like Edison. You got to fail the 100 bulbs before you can find the one. You got to be like, oh, it failed. It's all right. We're going to find another one. Yeah. And we're going to keep trying till the time we discover the bulb. Yeah. And it will change the way the world works after that. Now, it's not easy. It's not going to be simple. It's not going to be, of course, always looking good. But I think the approach, if you take the approach of, you know, we're not doing good. It's not going to help us do better, from my point of view, at least from my philosophical point of view. My philosophical point of view is we are absolutely crushing it, and there is so much more to be done. Yeah. Well, it's like, I agree to all that. And I also notice myself kind of falling into the momentum of like nihilism and focusing on the pretty ugly statistics. If you want to like look for ugly statistics, like they exist. And so there's also a lot of really positive things that exist in the world. And so I think it's the balance of not just like Tony Robbins has a bit about, you can't just like sit in your house and like pray there won't be any weeds. You have to like yeah. go the fuck outside and do the work to get rid of the weeds. 100%. And so that, and then I think this kind of ties back to the beginning of the conversation of masculine and feminine. And both are equally powerful and they are, the most powerful united, you know, and within one's yes. individual self, within one's philosophical perspective on the planet, within one's, I don't know, a male, a literal biological male-female coming together and creating life, you know, and evolving, you know, the species or yourselves or what, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So I think it really comes down to a, a balance of that. And so my feeling is you probably are, are quite similar to me based off of talking to you in this of having a tendency to veer towards where people are not or where like the, the mind is not. And so you picking up 
where I'm kind of going to more of like, a, okay, well, this is why we are civilized to death, to use Chris Ryan's book title, and why we are kind of like messing it up with all of our modern advancements. I think you naturally would go to, okay, yes, and what about all of this? And I think that's the real beauty of conversation. Yeah. You know, whereas if you're only, if let's say like the, the high polarized end of, of the perspective that you just shared of like, everything is just amazing. And we're going to, you know, there's a concept in psychology called the Pygmalion effect, where it's like people become your belief of them. So the way that you treat someone, if you treat someone like a criminal, they'll probably rob you. You know, and if you treat someone like this amazing person, you like see into how good they are you're almost like alchemizing this subconscious relationship to them where they're starting to pull out those parts of being good. It's like, wow, like, oh, like no one's really ever seen me that way. Mm. Wow, like, okay, this is an opportunity. Like, I'm, I'm going to make change. Yeah. You know, so that within that, it's like that, I think that can happen. And then the high excessive polarized side of that would be like, okay, let's just, you know, namaste and, you know, sit here and just pretend that everything's great. Meanwhile, like the humans are slowly marching themselves off the side of a cliff. <laughs> and maybe that's perfect. And maybe what we ought to be doing right now is, you know, there's like the idea that we're kind of like in this technological chrysalis right now and humans are feeding all their energy and consciousness and resources into technology to eventually become like a technological butterfly. And there's no need for this human biological you know, shitting, pissing, swearing, <laughs> greedy, inefficient system. Maybe that's the thing, you know, maybe this is a simulation. Maybe this is God, Jesus creation. Maybe this is like, there's so many different lanes. And I think it all comes back to like, it's just life is just an amazing story. And there's yeah. the there's so much dynamic flexibility within it, you know, and, and I think that if one would like to have experienced the sensation of like, I don't know, subjective progress and homeostasis and like ease or balance or things of the sort, I think typically the recipe would be a balance of that masculine perspective and feminine perspective. Yeah, I think that integration is so very important and it's so very relevant to our today's conversation. So mm. thank you for sharing all of that amazing juice that you did today. Um, there was a lot more that we can talk about, but, but we've gone way over time. Because I just looked at my watch, so I was like, oh, wow, we've been going on for a hot minute. So before we call it a day, tell us, where is it that my tribe can listen more about you, learn more about you, learn more about the book? So I host a podcast called The Align Podcast, and I really enjoy engaging in conversations like this, where I get to be like much more silent and just kind of ask questions and then like, oh, wow. I like to describe it as like learning out loud, you know? And so I think that's, I'm such, I feel so grateful to be in the position now after like freaking seven and a half years of putting the thing together to be in that position. So that'd be a fine place for people to visit if they're interested in like an audio slash video type content like that. We created a community on the internet just recently, last like month. We have 1,300 people in there. It's totally free. And it's a place where we put exclusive content from the podcast. And I'm on there every day answering messages. And we do like, you know, lives and challenges and all that stuff. So I'd recommend if people are interested in going deeper into the stuff that I actually have some level of expertise in quotations around, which is like more movement, self-care, like how to make the physical body work better. People could go there. That's alignpodcast.com slash community. And uh, I think that's it. The book is called Align Method on all the social channels. It's a line podcast. I think that's about it. 
Perfect. So I'm sure you enjoyed listening to Aaron and me talk about stuff that neither of us is an expert in. <laughs> no. Nope. We just, we just <laughs> talked about and opened our hearts and opened our souls to you. And as we think and grow through this, I think you will enjoy listening to Aaron on the Line Podcast. So go ahead and type it into whatever you're listening. This one on the Line Podcast and follow it and listen to some fun episodes that have been dropped recently. And until then... Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Coach Ajit and you're listening to Master Coaching with Ajit.